We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 323 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Thursday, May 26th, 2022. You know, it was just two shows ago. That's all. Two shows ago. Episode 321, on which we discussed, among many things, how now, more than ever, the Commanders, next stadium, being in Virginia seemed like what would be happening. And, you know, that may well still be what ends up happening. But we on Wednesday night got something that suggests that the Commander's next stadium being in Virginia may not be happening, at least not right now, and or at least not in the way that the Commanders want the stadium to be happening, i.e. with Virginia paying a good bit of the bill. Uh, You know, it has been suspected that Virginia has been bidding against itself. Perhaps the state of Virginia is now recognizing this. uh, But a key Virginia politician has turned on the cause of a new commander stadium being in Virginia. And he has done so with some rather harsh and stiff and biting words. Next segment, I will address a jarring statement that came out on Wednesday night. Hello and welcome to a Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. There will be actual commander's football talk on this installment of the podcast. Uh, I want to get into what the commanders are thinking with their running back mix for the 2022 season. Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, Brian Robinson Jr. Uh, Ron Rivera had some notable comments on his plan at running back. It's a plan that I think makes a lot of sense. I'll explain why. And do some deep dives for you. Uh, A deep dive on Washington's rushing offense with Ron as head coach and Scott Turner as offensive coordinator. A deep dive on Antonio Gibson. What exactly has Gibson been? Has he been good? Is there a need for him to be better? Could it be that Brian Robinson Jr. ends up being the commander's RB1 in 2022? Additionally, I want to discuss Antonio Gandy-Golden on the show. AGG, he is transitioning from receiver 
to tight end, that is. Uh, I'll talk AGG and revisit a Redskins receiver who 10 years ago did the same thing, transitioned from receiver to tight end, Niles Paul. Uh, also on the show, I'll talk Nationals. Good job, Nats. A one nothing win over the National League-leading Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park on Wednesday. Eric Fetty, really good. Uh, although the Nats hitting and base running still were not so good. Uh, and I'll talk Orioles. You know, whereas the Nats on Wednesday won in shutout fashion, the O's on Wednesday night lost in shutout fashion, a 2 nothing loss at the Major League-leading New York Yankees, who it feels like the O's have played about a 1,000 times already this season. Uh, bad news from the Capitals on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, I was not happy to read this. I'm guessing that many of you listening were not happy to read and or hear this. Forward Tom Wilson has undergone surgery to repair a torn left ACL. You know, we thought that this might be the case, that the serious knee injury that he suffered in the loss at the Florida Panthers in Game 1 of the Caps' series loss to the Panthers in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs was a torn ACL, and it turns out that the injury was a torn ACL. Uh, The Caps said that, quote, based on the nature of this procedure, Wilson is expected to miss six to eight months End quote. Uh, This is bad for the Caps. I mean, they almost certainly will be beginning the 2022-2023 regular season without a very key player in Tom Wilson. And who knows when he'll be back. And when he is back, who knows how much of his former self he'll be. I mean, we know that it can take multiple years to truly get back to being yourself off a torn ACL. But uh, all the best to Tom Wilson. Uh, I tell you, the Caps have a lot to be thinking about this offseason with the state of the team. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Wendell Hicks on Dan Snyder potentially being on thin ice as owner of the Commanders and who potentially could be the Commanders' next owners, writes Wendell. Off the report that the NFL owners are counting votes for the removal of Dan Snyder as owner of the Commanders, a la Frank Underwood in House of Cards, could there be something bigger happening? The Nationals' owners bid on the Redskins in 1999 when the team was awarded to Dan Snyder, And now the Nats owners have put their team up for sale amidst a constant swirl of controversy surrounding Snyder. I think that it isn't unreasonable to surmise that the learners sensed an opportunity that simply isn't available in MLB, especially with the bad deal that the team has with Masson and the very uneven, if not woeful, attendance for home games. The NFL is a money machine. And the learners could make multiples of what the learners originally paid for the Nats by selling that team and would make infinitely more money as NFL owners. I'm curious about your thoughts. Uh, Wendell, excellent email. Now, I must tell you, I have considered this possibility, this possibility that the learners are looking to buy the commander's if they get put up for sale. But here's the thing. If the learners are selling the Nats because the learners are having a cash flow problem, then how are they going to have enough money to buy the commanders who are worth a lot more than the Nats are worth? Uh, Forbes 
in August 2021 valued the team, now known as the Commanders, as being worth $4.2 billion. Forbes this past March valued the Nats as being worth $2 billion. Yeah, as much as people crush the Commanders, they're worth more than double what the Nats are worth, at least according to Forbes. Think about that. Uh, We don't know for sure why the learners are selling the Nats, but what I believe, and I know what others believe, is that the learners are having a cash flow problem because of what the COVID-19 pandemic did to the commercial real estate market in which the learners have made their fortune. And then you add to that the fact that the learners, also because of the wonderful pandemic, got totally robbed of the financial windfall that they should have enjoyed off the Nats winning the World Series in 2019. And yeah, I do think that it's quite possible that the learners are having a cash flow problem. And I do believe that a new ownership group for the Nats is coming. But Wendell, I like how you think, man. A potential Machiavellian house of cards-like Frank Underwood-like ploy by the learners to pull off the switch, to switch from owning the Nats to owning the Commanders. Well, House of Cards was a great show. Uh, took place, of course, in our city, Washington, D.C., which is the home of Paulson and Nace. Frank and Claire had nothing on Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. If you or someone you love is dealing with injury through no fault of your own or his or her own, call Paulson and Nace at 202 202- 902-7611 and tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses whose practices or products are directly related to the root of your injury. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. Paulson and Nace, you see, is not afraid to take a case to trial, and Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families in the future. Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. There is a general theme with the Commander Stadium search that really (laughs) has become undeniable. And 
That general theme is that the search has been far more difficult than the team ever thought that the search would be. Uh, We first learned of the stadium search all the way back in August 2014 via an interview that our owner, Dan Snyder, uh, did with what was then Comcast Sportsnet Mid-Atlantic, now is NBC Sports Washington. So, I mean, think about that. August 2014, that was nearly eight years ago. That was nearly two presidential terms ago. And yet here we are now, late May 2022, on the doorstep of Memorial Day weekend 2022, and there still is no deal in place for a new stadium for the team. And now what had seemed likely, the new stadium being in Virginia, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, has hit at least a bit of a roadblock, if not a substantial roadblock. So just to set this up, We on Monday had the confusion with what exactly had gone down regarding the commanders in about 200 acres of land in Woodbridge, Virginia. Well, what now is clear is that the commanders didn't buy the land. That reporting was wrong. The commanders have signed an option to purchase agreement uh, that's different than actually purchasing the land, although clearly the agreement allows for the team to purchase the land. And obviously, the purpose of the land is for it to be the site of the new stadium and surrounding area. And the plan for the surrounding area is for it to be a big deal. A new team facility, an amphitheater, residential buildings, shopping, restaurants, etc. But still to be determined before finalizing plans for new Commander Stadium in Woodbridge, Virginia, is how much money the state of Virginia and Prince William County are willing to commit. Yes, everything, of course, always comes down to money. We know that the Virginia legislature has been discussing creating a stadium authority that would authorize money to help pay for a new Commander Stadium. Well, support in the Virginia legislature to help pay for a new Commander Stadium seems to be waning. Uh, First, the money was slashed was slashed from a billion dollars in taxpayer funding to roughly $300 million. And now there may be no money approved because there may not be enough votes to approve money. If Virginia lawmakers approve a budget on June 1st and adjourn for the session without voting on the stadium funding plan, the bill will die. And more and more, it's looking like there may not be a vote on a stadium funding plan, or if there is a vote, that the plan may not pass. Breaking on Wednesday night was the stance of this guy, Chap Peterson. Uh, Chap Peterson is a Virginia state senator. He is a Democrat who represents Central and Western Fairfax in the Virginia state Senate. In January, Chap Peterson voted in favor of the plan to give the commanders a billion dollars in future stadium tax revenues to build the stadium and surrounding area in Northern Virginia. Uh, The legislation, in fact, passed out of a finance committee on which Chap Peterson sits. But Peterson has changed his mind. Uh, Chap Peterson has turned on Dan Snyder. Chap Peterson is no longer a jolly old chap (laughs) to Dan Snyder. And this is a big deal. Uh, We on Wednesday night got the following statement from Chap Peterson. Here you go. Quote, I've had a chance to read the legislation closely several times in its original and amended form. I've also followed the news as the team has obtained an option on land in Virginia to build a stadium 
and surrounding mixed-use development. I respect the fact that it might create jobs and revenue in Prince William. However, I do not plan to support the project or Virginia's pursuit of this NFL franchise. I have two concerns. One is that the development is too far removed from an urban setting, unlike Nats Park at the Navy Yard, which will make it solely dependent on vehicle traffic for access. More importantly, I don't have confidence in the Washington Commanders as a viable NFL franchise. I grew up a Washington Redskins fan and was a season ticket holder for 22 years. That team defined our community for multiple generations. The Washington Commanders are not that team. They have no history, no tradition, and no fan base. I do not consider them an appropriate economic partner for the Commonwealth of Virginia because I don't think they have the community support to survive. End quote. Wow. That is a pretty stiff statement from Chat Peterson. I mean, just the line, I don't have confidence in the Washington Commanders as a viable NFL franchise. Well, a few things. So first of all, Chat Peterson is a politician. So you always have to wonder, well, what's driving this, right? As the nature boy, Ric Flair, said many years ago, what's causing all this? And it may be as simple as this. Chat Peterson knows that many people, maybe even most people in Virginia, do not want government money going to help pay for a stadium for a pro sports team, especially a pro sports team owned by someone like Dan Snyder. So Chat Peterson has said to himself, well, <laughs> I better get off the train. And so he has come up with this stance and he put out this statement on Wednesday night. What, of course, also is possible is that Chat Peterson genuinely believes what he's saying here and that he legitimately has changed his mind. But, you know, to say that you don't have confidence in the Commanders as a viable NFL franchise, I mean, if you don't believe in the Commanders as a brand that is going to thrive, okay. Uh, if you do not like Dan Snyder and all of the scandal and controversy surrounding Dan Snyder, okay. I hear you 100% on that. Heck, if you just have a general opinion that public money should never go toward building something like a stadium for a professional sports team. I hear you on that, okay? I think it's very debatable whether any government should ever help a pro sports team pay for a stadium, okay? The results of government money going to help pay for pro sports stadiums are very mixed, okay? Sometimes the governments have benefited from doing this, but other times governments have not benefited from doing this. But I would make this point, okay? I think people overstate things like the viability of the commanders, okay? They're not going out of business. They're never going out of business. The NFL national television money alone makes every NFL team viable, okay? So like to question whether an NFL team can survive, to question whether an NFL team can last, you're being overly dramatic if you say something like that. And I don't know if Chat Peterson is aware of this or not, but the NFL, within the last 18 months, struck 
new national television deals. The NFL on March 18th, 2021, announced the signings of new long-term television contracts with Amazon, CBS, ESPN slash ABC, Fox, and NBC. The agreements per Forbes came out to a total of $111.8 billion. Not million dollars, billion with a B dollars. The Amazon deal is going to begin this coming season. The other deals will be beginning in the 2023 season. Each deal is 10 or 11 years. The total package essentially doubles what the NFL was making under its previous national television deals. What the NFL was making under its previous national television deals was about $5 billion per year. So these new national television contracts are going to have the NFL making $10 billion per year, okay? We have something called revenue sharing in the NFL. Every NFL team reaps the benefits of the national television contracts. These new national television contracts are about to be pumping into the NFL economy $10 billion per year. So the television money alone makes every NFL team viable. Yes, the commanders have major business problems right now. There's no doubt about that. Yes, the commanders have a major image problem with who the team's owner is and all of the scandals and all of the controversy. There's no doubt about that. I am not trying to paint a picture of everything being glorious for the team right now. Everything is not glorious for the team right now. But at the same time, let's not be overly dramatic. Let's not say things that are ridiculous. And saying that the commanders may lack true viability, that's ridiculous. The commanders aren't going to go out of business. The commanders aren't going to be contracted. And, you know, I've heard people say like, well, what if the commanders leave the Washington, D.C. area? Okay, you think the NFL is going to take a team out of the Washington, D.C. area, which is a top 10 television market and which is one of the richest areas in the country? Okay, uh, if you want to think that that's fine, I'm not holding my breath on something like that happening. So, yeah, I don't know exactly where Chat Peterson is coming from. And like I said... If he believes that a government should not be paying hundreds of millions of dollars to a pro sports team, especially one owned by someone like Dan Snyder, to build a new stadium, I hear him on that. All right? I do. Uh, but let's also, not, <laughs> let's also not say things that really aren't true, that like the commanders can't last. They're not viable moving forward. Let's calm down with the language with something like that. But look, here's the bottom line, all right? Because forget about what Chat Peterson said in a statement. Once again, this entire stadium search, this stadium process, this stadium saga is not going swimmingly and is not going smoothly. And maybe ultimately the votes are accumulated and a financing plan by the state of Virginia is passed and construction begins in Woodbridge, Virginia, maybe before the end of this year. Okay, who the heck knows? But with how long this entire stadium search has taken, with how difficult this entire stadium search has been for the team, I don't think that you count on anything at this point. And wow, 
I mean, it was earlier this week that it seemed like the Commander's Next Stadium being in Prince William County, Virginia, was going to be happening, even with the land having not technically been purchased, you know, this option to purchase agreement having been struck. Okay, fine. But it really felt like, okay, every finger is pointing in the direction of the Commander's Next Stadium being in Virginia and, you know, specifically Woodbridge, Virginia. Well, now you don't know what to think. Nothing has been easy for the team, now known as the Commanders, in a lot of areas for a long time now, but especially with this search for a new stadium. All right. So when it comes to the commander's offense this offseason, the focus, of course, has been on the passing offense, especially the quarterback position. For obvious reasons, quarterback is the most important position in sports. How many times have you heard that? And uh, the team went into the 2022 NFL offseason, making it no secret that the all-out search was on to find a franchise quarterback. And the commanders ended up trading for Carson Wentz. We shall see how that works out. What has not gotten as much attention this commander's offseason is the state of the team's rushing offense. Now, it's not like the commander's rushing offense hasn't come up at all. Uh, It has come up, especially off the commander spending a third-round pick in the 2022 NFL draft on a running back in Brian Robinson Jr. out of Alabama. But what I wanted to do right now is hone in on where the commander's rushing offense is at and what they're thinking at running back is. The Commanders right now have the following running backs on the roster. Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, Brian Robinson Jr., Jarrett Patterson, Jonathan Williams, Reggie Bonifon, and Alex Arma, although Arma is more of a fullback than he is a halfback. Uh, Obviously, the Commanders' top three running backs are Gibson, McKissick, and Robinson. The head coach of the Commanders, Ron Rivera, uh, he at his post-OTA practice press conference on Tuesday morning was asked about the Commanders' running back situation. Here's what Ron said. Well, I think for the most part, it's, it, it is going to be by committee. I, I, I know this, you know, some of the things that we did in Carolina trying to emulate. You know, we had a good two-back system. We had, you know, D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart. And we had Pfizer Whitaker as, 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 a, as a change of pace, third down type of guy. Well, you look at what we have right now, you can say we have the same thing. So just feel that, you know, it's one of those things that you're going to go with who, who's hot, who's rolling, you know, who's doing the good things. Um, and then you're going to have to spell that guy. I mean, this in, in, in this league today, you know, you just can't have one primary back. You've got to have a, a plethora of them. And we just feel it's a very good room right now. Okay, so a few things with what Ron Rivera said there. Uh, Ron said of the commander's approach at running back for the 2022 season that, quote, I think for the most part, it is going to be by committee, end quote. Uh, Ron compared what the commanders have in Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Brian Robinson Jr. to what the Carolina Panthers had in Jonathan Stewart, D'Angelo Williams, and Fozzie Whitaker. Although, if you look it up, uh, those three guys were all on the Panthers for just one season, the 2014 season. But the Panthers, for a while, had a dynamic running back duo, certainly, in Stewart and Williams. I loved, by the way, (laughs) Ron saying the following. Did you catch this? Here you go. Some of the things that we did in Carolina trying to emulate. Yeah, how about that? Some of the things we did in Carolina, I'm trying to emulate. No kidding. Really? We hadn't noticed. Uh, I, got, I got a kick out of Ron saying that. Some of the things that we did in Carolina, I'm trying to emulate. 
Yes, we know, Ron. We get it. Some of the things that you did in Carolina, you're trying to emulate. Uh, That has been made quite clear. Uh, And then Ron also said that when it comes to which running back the commanders might lean on this coming season, quote, you're going to go with who's hot, who's rolling, who's doing the good things, end quote. Uh, you know, Ron Rivera's thinking at running back for the Commanders, to me, makes total sense, okay? This is the way to do running back in 2022, and really, this has been the way to do running back in the NFL for more than a decade now. The position of running back is an extremely grueling, physically demanding position. Running backs age very quickly. Paying big money to running backs is one of the biggest no-nos in the NFL, even though some teams still pay running backs big money. See the Dallas Cowboys with Ezekiel Elliott. And so to me, what you want with your running back situation are two things, depth and diversity. Depth and diversity. You want multiple running backs who you feel good about, and you want it so that each of those guys in any given game could be your number one back. And you want running backs with different styles so that you can attack teams with your rushing offense in a variety of ways. And the commanders with Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Brian Robinson Jr. do seem to have both depth and diversity. Uh, Gibson is the tweener. He can't hurt you with his speed, but also can hurt you with his physicality. McKissick is the speedster, the slasher, and Robinson is the bruiser. Uh, Although, of course, Robinson is unproven at the NFL level. Uh, There very much is another level that the commander's rushing offense can get to. Washington, over its first two seasons with Ron Rivera as head coach and Scott Turner as offensive coordinator, has been middle of the pack in the NFL in rushing offense. Washington for the 2020 regular season was number 14 in the NFL in rushing offense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Washington for the 2021 regular season, it was number 19 in the NFL in rushing offense per DVOA. Where Washington's rushing offense has been quite good over the team's first two seasons with Ron and Scott has been in short yardage situations. Uh, Football Outsiders has a stat called power success rate, which is the percentage of successful third and fourth down runs requiring no more than two yards for a first down or a touchdown. Washington for the 2020 regular season was tied for number seven in the NFL in power success rate at 73%. And Washington for the 2021 regular season was number three in the NFL in power success rate at 77%. So Washington in each of its first two seasons with Ron Rivera as head coach and Scott Turner as offensive coordinator has been top 10 in the NFL in short yardage rushing offense. This is why I have never bought that the commander spent the third round pick on Brian Robinson Jr. only for him to be their new short yardage back, you know, their new Peyton Barber. Uh, Washington's short yardage rushing offense has been very good in each of the last two seasons. To me, the commander spent a third round pick on Robinson for two reasons, to spell Antonio Gibson and to potentially replace Antonio Gibson. And what I mean by that is this, if the commanders don't love the job that Gibson is doing as their number one back, then I do think that the commanders think that Robinson could be their number one back. You know, it's tricky with Antonio Gibson. Washington took him in the third round of the 2020 NFL draft out of Memphis. He and his 2020 rookie season was good. Uh, Gibson finished the 2020 regular season with 1,042 scrimmage yards. He became just the seventh rookie in franchise history and the first rookie since running back Alfred Morris in 2012 to have at least 1,000 scrimmage yards. Uh, Gibson finished the 2020 regular season at number six 
among 47 qualified running backs in the NFL in rushing DVOA at 18.7%. But Gibson in the 2021 regular season was very mixed. Now, there certainly were positives. Gibson finished the 2021 regular season at number six in the NFL in rushing yards at 1,037. He became the first Washington player to have at least 1,000 rushing yards in a regular season since Adrian Peterson in 2018. Uh, Gibson finished the 2021 regular season at number four in the NFL in rushing attempts at 258. He, during Washington's four-game winning streak, weeks 10 through 13, totaled 95 carries, 23.75 carries per game. Gibson was leaned on quite a bit during the four-game winning streak, and Ron Rivera talked about that quite a bit. But the efficiency stats for Gibson last season were not good. Uh, On a per-carry basis, he was not among the better backs in the NFL. Gibson finished the 2021 regular season number 37 among qualified players in the NFL in yards per carry at 4.02. Gibson finished the 2021 regular season number 38 out of 50 qualified running backs in the NFL in rushing DVOA at minus 6.8%. Gibson finished the 2021 regular season number 22 out of 52 qualified running backs in the NFL in rushing yards over expected per attempt at 0.6. I know that sounds complicated. Rushing yards over expected is a metric from the NFL's next-gen stats. This speaks to Gibson not always getting what was blocked for him. Uh, Gibson finished the 2021 regular season number 37 out of 52 qualified running backs in the NFL in rushing efficiency. For the NFL's next-gen stats, uh, rushing efficiency is an interesting metric. This basically is a measure of how much of a north-south runner a player is. Rushing efficiency is calculated by taking the total distance that a player traveled on rushing plays as a ball carrier per next-gen stats uh, measured in yards per rushing yards gained. And Antonio Gibson, if it felt like he wasn't always going north-south, that's because he wasn't always going north-south. Again, number 37 out of 52 qualified running backs in the NFL in rushing efficiency in the 2021 regular season. And then, of course, there was the fumbling. Uh, Gibson finished the 2021 regular season number one among all running backs in the NFL in fumbles at six. So Antonio Gibson's 2021 season was complicated, especially when you throw this into the mix. He was banged up a lot. Uh, Gibson in the 2021 regular season, to his credit, played in 16 of Washington's 17 games, and the game that he missed was due to COVID, uh, not due to injury. Gibson was on the reserve COVID-19 list from December 31st to January 5th, but Gibson during the 2021 regular season dealt with a shin injury, a rib injury, and a toe injury. Uh, He was constantly on Washington injury reports. And remember, Gibson in the 2020 regular season missed two games in December 2020 due to a turf toe injury. So I do think with Antonio Gibson, less may be more. Fewer carries may make for a better Antonio Gibson. Fewer carries hopefully will mean a healthier and fresher Gibson and thus a more efficient Gibson. Keep in mind, he is still learning the running back position. Gibson of Memphis was a combo running back receiver. Now, speaking of that, Gibson over his first two NFL seasons has not been the factor as a pass catcher that we thought that he might be. And some of this has to do with J.D. McKissick being a very good pass catcher as a running back. McKissick in college at Arkansas State was a receiver. But, you know, you look at Gibson. He, in his final season at Memphis, 2019, averaged 19.3 
yards per reception. You'd like it so that our team could be capitalizing on that. Again, 19.3 yards per catch, but Washington really did not capitalize on that over Gibson's first two seasons. We'll see what happens this coming season. But Gibson in the 2020 regular season, just 36 receptions. Uh, Gibson in the 2021 regular season, 42 receptions. Now, he did have three touchdown receptions. It's not like he is a total non-factor as a pass catcher, but he has not been this dynamic, multi-purpose weapon that we thought that he would be. Uh, Another thing is this, third downs. Uh, Antonio Gibson largely remains in the witness protection program on third downs. When Washington has had a third down on offense each of the last two seasons, Gibson has been working with Saul Goodman at the Cinnabon in the mall. Uh, Gibson in the 2020 regular season incredibly had just 11 third down touches. Now, his third down touches did go up last year. Gibson in the 2021 regular season had 31 third down touches. That is a lot more than 11, but I don't know. To me, it's like Gibson still could be much more of a weapon on third downs. And I get it. Not every skill position player can touch the football on every play. You want to be utilizing a Terry McLaurin on third downs, a Logan Thomas on third downs. I totally get that. But, you know, especially off all of this talk of Antonio Gibson potentially being Washington's version of Christian McCaffrey, Uh, it feels like there's more that the commanders can get out of Gibson. And of course, that is a shared responsibility. This isn't all on the commanders. You know, Gibson has to earn more touches. Uh, Gibson supposedly has toned up this offseason, his body fat going from 18% to 12%. Uh, Something else with the commanders rushing offense that I want to hit on is this. Physicality. Uh, This guy, Brian Robinson Jr., was a punishing back at Alabama. Robinson, in his 2021 redshirt senior season at Bama, pro football focus, had 891 yards after contact. That ranked 12th in the FBS. He had 79 missed tackles forced. That ranked tied for 6th in the FBS. Rushing offense doesn't matter as much as passing offense. I think we all know that by now. You know, it remains remarkable to me that this past NFL postseason, we did not have a single 100-yard rusher in any game. I talked about this on a podcast a few months ago, uh, February 15th to be exact, episode 251. I feel like this still has not gotten enough attention. There were 13 games in the NFL playoffs for the 2021 season. Not a single one of those games featured a player who had at least 100 rushing yards in that game. Uh, You look at the two teams that played in Super Bowl 56, the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, They, for the 2021 regular season, were number 12 in the NFL in rushing offense per DVOA. Okay, number 12, I mean, not bad, pretty good, but certainly not special. But the Cincinnati Bengals, for the 2021 regular season, were number 20 in the NFL in rushing offense per DVOA. I mean, never before has it been clear that passing offense matters more than rushing offense. And again, I think we all get that. But that doesn't mean that rushing offense doesn't matter. And I think a really good explanation of the value of rushing offense in today's NFL came from Los Angeles Chargers head coach Brandon Staley in a press conference this past October. Staley is a really smart guy. I know that some people love to bash him for his decision-making, but Staley is very into analytics. I love the way that he views football, and I thought that he explained the value of rushing offense in today's NFL perfectly. Here you go. 
Uh, what I think that the running game does for a quarterback um, is it gives you some breathers. And, um, you know, you don't need a good running game to be a good play-action team, but what you need the running game for is the physical element of the game. There's a physicality to the game that's real, right? If you're just a passing team, okay, there's a physical element to the game that the defense doesn't have to respect, okay? And that's the truth, okay? Because the data will tell you, you don't need a run game to play pass. That's not, you don't need that. But what the running game does for you, it brings a physical dimension to the football game. And what the running game does that the passing game does not is the running game forces the defense to play blocks and to tackle. That happens on a run play. You must play blocks and you must tackle. In the passing game, those things don't have to happen, right? You don't have to play as many blocks, right? And you don't, may not have to tackle based on incomplete or not. So what the running game does is it really challenges your physicality. And that's why I think the run game is important to a quarterback is because it's going to allow him literally to have more space to operate when you do throw the football. Okay, it's not that you need the run game to throw it. It's just what it gives the rest of your skill players. Yeah, very well put by Brandon Staley this past October. Physicality, a major benefit of a good running game. And Brian Robinson Jr. profiles as a guy who very much can bring physicality, can bring the hammer uh, to the commander's rushing offense this coming season. And of course, a good commander's rushing offense will only mean good things for Carson Wentz and the commander's passing offense. Up next, might the commander's passing offense this coming season feature a receiver turned tight end? Being a contributor, I'll discuss Antonio Gandy-Golden making the transition from receiver to tight end straight ahead. Well, we all want to be healthy, but it's not easy to eat healthy. And let's be honest, it's not cheap to eat healthy, especially with inflation right now. And so that's why you should try Factor. Factor is an affordable meal delivery plan that provides you with delicious and healthy food. Whether you're trying to get or stay lean or you're trying to put on muscle, Factor gets the job done and saves you hours per week in that you don't have to worry about food shopping, cooking, or doing dishes. Uh, Factor offers 30 meals per week. You can choose from a variety of new meals every week, so you'll never get bored. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. Yes, two minutes. You can't beat this. Trust me, I eat Factor meals. My favorites have included the Keto Chorizo Chili, the Chichimuri Pork Tenderloin, and the Santa Fe Beef Bowl. All of them delicious. And understand that Factor meals are put together by registered dietitians and expert chefs who work hand-in-hand to create meals with nutritious ingredients. You're going to love eating Factor meals and you can save $120 just by being a listener of this podcast. Here's what you do. Visit go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. Yeah, you heard that right, $120 off. That's go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. Give Factor a try. Eat well and save yourself time and money. Visit go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. You got to try Factor because fitness starts with food. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. More now on the Commanders. Head coach Ron Rivera in his post-OTA practice press conference on Tuesday morning confirmed a position change for a player. He confirmed that Antonio Gandy-Golden is switching from receiver to tight end. Uh, so AGG is making the transition to TE. Uh, Antonio Gandy-Golden was a bigger receiver. The commander's list, Gandy-Golden, is being 6'4 and 223 pounds. But he just had not done much as a receiver over two seasons with Washington. Uh, so Antonio Gandy-Golden was a very well-received draftee of the Redskins. The Skins took Gandy-Golden in the fourth round of the 2020 NFL Draft out of Liberty, and a lot of people raved about this pick. ESPN NFL front office insider and former Redskins executive Lewis Riddick on the ESPN ABC telecast of day three of the 2020 draft called the Skins taking Gandy-Golden a, quote, spectacular pick by the Redskins, end quote. Uh, NFL draft analyst Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network and NFL.com labeled the skin selection of Gandy Golden as the best value pick in the fourth round of the 2020 draft. Jeremiah had Gandy Golden as the number 79 overall player in the draft, but Gandy Golden went to the skins with pick number 142 in the draft. But Antonio Gandy-Golden had a lost 2020 rookie season. Uh, Gandy-Golden in the 2020 regular season played in just six games and totaled just one reception on three targets. Uh, He was on Washington's reserve injured list for a little more than two months, October 24th, 2020 to December 26, 2020, due to a hamstring injury that he suffered in a 2019 loss at the New York Giants in Week 6. 
And then came Antonio Gandy-Golden's 2021 season, during which he was like all over the place in terms of roster transactions. Washington released Gandy-Golden in the cut down to 53 last August 31st, but then signed him to the practice squad the next day. Washington on October 23rd announced the signing of Gandy-Golden from the practice squad to the active roster. He had been elevated from the practice squad to the active roster for each of the previous two games. Then Gandy-Golden from weeks 10 through 6 was inactive for seven consecutive games. Washington on January 1st released Gandy Golden, but Washington on January 4th signed Gandy Golden back to the practice squad, and Washington on January 10th announced the re-signing of Gandy Golden to a reserve-slash-future contract. This was Ron Rivera on Tuesday morning on what he's looking for from Antonio Gandy Golden in his transition to tight end. Well, probably the first first thing foremost uh, is, is is his blocking. You know, it's kind of hard right now because you know we're we're, we're not in pads, but we want to make sure he knows those assignments where he's headed. Uh, we know his skill set as a receiver. Um, it's the size that we really like, um, and and to be a, a guy that can run and and play the basically you or the F position for us, we feel pretty good about what he's he's bringing to the table right now. But it will come down to his ability to block. Yeah, it's going to be tough for Antonio Gandy-Golden to make the Commander's season-opening 53-man roster. The top three tight ends on the Commanders, in theory, are set, right? Logan Thomas, John Bates, and Cole Turner. Uh, Also, the Commanders have Samus Reyes. Now, obviously, one or more of those guys could get hurt. And Thomas is coming off a torn ACL. And remember, he suffered that torn ACL in the 17-15 win at the Las Vegas Raiders this past December 5th. So it's not a given that Thomas will be good to go for the start of the 2022 regular season. But maybe Gandy Golden can make the commander's practice squad and or maybe he can showcase himself to another team. You know, the commander's moving Antonio Gandy-Golden from receiver to tight end is reminiscent of Niles Paul moving from receiver to tight end. Uh, The Redskins took Paul in the fifth round of the 2011 NFL Draft out of Nebraska. He was one of three consecutive picks by the Skins out of Nebraska in that draft. Uh, Running back Roy Hallou Jr. in the fourth round and safety Dijon Gomes and Paul in the fifth round. Before we had the Bama Skins, we had the Cornhusker Skins. Uh, Paul came to the Skins as a receiver, but he in his 2011 rookie regular season over 13 games had just two receptions. The Skins during the 2012 offseason, as you may recall, signed free agent receivers Pierre Garçon and Joshua Morgan. And so the then head coach of the Skins, Mike Shanahan, had Niles Paul transition from receiver to tight end for his second season. And Mike kept making the comp of Paul to Shannon Sharp, who had been, of course, a stud tight end for Mike during Mike's time as Denver Broncos head coach. And Shannon Sharp uh, also made the transition from receiver to tight end early in his career. But Niles Paul never quite ended up being Shannon Sharp. Uh, He never really did much as a tight end. He was a good special teams player, but he never became anything close to a major pass-catching threat. Paul, over the 2012 and 2013 regular seasons, over 31 games, totaled just 12 receptions on just 23 targets. His best season was 2014, which was Jay Gruden's first season as Redskins head coach. Paul, in the 2014 regular season over 16 games, had 39 receptions for 570 yards and a touchdown on 52 targets. But then came major injury issues for Paul. He missed the entire 2015 regular season due to a fractured and dislocated left ankle suffered in a preseason opening win over the Cleveland Browns at FedEx Field. And Paul, in the 2016 regular season, suffered a season ending labrum injury in the tie. 
the 27 all tie with the Cincinnati Bengals in London on Halloween weekend. But, you know, prior to that injury, Paul in that 2016 regular season really was not doing much. He, in the 2016 regular season, over eight games, had just two receptions on two targets. Uh, he was clearly supplanted by Vernon Davis as the Skins' number two tight end that season. Uh, Paul, in the 2017 regular season, played in 14 games with eight starts. Uh, that was a season in which Jordan Reed missed a lot of time, but Paul, in that 2017 regular season, just 13 receptions on 19 targets. Uh, the Skins, in the 2018 offseason, allowed Paul to leave as an unrestricted free agent. He, in March 2018, signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars, but he didn't even last with the Jags for a full season. Uh, Paul, in the 2018 regular season over six games with the Jags, just 10 receptions. And then on December 14th, 2018, he was waived from the Jags reserve injured list. He was signed by the San Francisco 49ers to a one-year deal on July 26, 2019, but was released by the Niners on August 2nd, 2019. And Paul announced his retirement from the NFL in an Instagram post on August 7th, 2019. I mean, look, let's be honest about things. You don't change positions if things are going well for you at your initial position, right? Usually a position change is a sign that things aren't going so well for you at your initial position. So this is an uphill climb here for Antonio Gandy-Golden, but he is a talented guy. There's a reason that the Skins took him in the fourth round of the 2020 draft, and I'm rooting for him, you know? Depth at tight end is never a bad thing, and if you can further your depth at that position with AGG, then more power to him. Well, one of the nice things about the Major League Baseball regular season being 162 games is that even if you're a bad team, you're going to get some wins, right? You're going to have some good days. You're going to get at least, say, 50-something wins. And for the Nationals, Wednesday was a good day, at least for their pitching, uh, because Wednesday wasn't a good day for the Nats hitting. Wednesday wasn't a good day for the Nats base running. Uh, but we'll deal with the negatives in a bit. Wednesday was a good day for Nats pitching. And let us enjoy the positive at least for a little while with this team this season because the Nats on Wednesday beat the best team in the National League so far this season. The Los Angeles Dodgers won nothing at Nationals Park to avoid a three-game sweep. This was just the Nats' 15th win in 45 games this season. This was just the Nats' ninth win in 32 games since a 6-7 and seven start to the season. Here's all that you need to know. Tanner Rainey is the Nats' closer. He, on Wednesday, got the save. This was his first save since April 19th. Wednesday was May 25th. Rainey's last save had been registered on April 19th. It had been more than a month since the Nats' closer had gotten a save. Think about that. And yes, some of that is on Rainey because he had blown each of his two previous save chances. But a lot of this is just that the Nats haven't been in position to win games this season. Again, just 15 wins in 45 games this season. But the Nats on Wednesday won. And so Nats manager, Davey Martinez, if you would. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey. Thank you. And Davey should be especially proud of Eric Fetty. What a job by Eric Fetty on Wednesday. You now have to say with Josiah Gray's recent struggles that Eric Fetty has been the Nats' best starting pitcher so far this season. And I know that that's not saying a lot given the state of Nats pitching, but Fetty overall is having himself a pretty good 2022 season. And Fetty on Wednesday 
was perhaps the best that he has been so far this season. Fetty on Wednesday against the Mighty Dodgers, six scoreless innings. Yeah, six shutout innings against the Dodgers team that had scored a total of 19 runs over the first two games in the series. Uh, Fetty tossed six scoreless innings. He had six strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up just four hits, two doubles, and two singles. He threw 90 pitches, 58 strikes versus 32 balls. Uh, Now, he did put some guys on base. His only clean inning was a perfect top of the sixth inning, but the bottom line is six shutout innings against the ultra-potent Dodgers. Uh, This, to me, was at worst Eric Fetty's second best start of the season. The other really good start that he had came in a 10-2 win at the Colorado Rockies on May 3rd. Fetty in that game, one run in seven innings. He became the first Nats starting pitcher this season to complete at least seven innings in a game. He retired 13 of the final 15 batters he faced. Don't look now, but Eric Fetty this season now, over nine starts, has an ERA of 355. I mean, that's pretty good, especially by 2022 Nats starting pitching standards, okay? The bar has been lowered. Yes, it has been when it comes to Nats pitching here, but a 3.55 ERA for Eric Fetty, there's not a Nats fan on the planet who wouldn't have signed up for that coming into this season. Now, two things. Uh, Number one, Eric Fetty was drafted to be an ace or close to an ace. Uh, He isn't that. He'll probably never be that. Uh, The Nats took Fetty with a number 18 pick in the 2014 MLB draft out of UNLV. This season is Fetty's age 29 season. So your perspective on Fetty sort of depends on how you view him being taken with that number 18 overall pick in 2014. If you continually hold him to that standard, well then, yeah, Fetty's going to be a disappointment almost no matter what he does at this point. But if you look at him and say, okay, he has been a guy who has been jerked between starter and reliever. He has been a guy who has been jerked between pitching in the majors and pitching in the minors. The fact that he's got a 355 ERA over nine starts this season, you know, that's like a number three starter in a good rotation. That's pretty good, okay? So if you look at him that way, I think you're pretty pleased with what he's doing so far this season. If you look at him as, hey, he was supposed to be an ace, well, no, he's not an ace. He'll probably never be an ace. But I think at some point with Eric Fetty, you have to focus on what he is rather than what he isn't and what he probably will never be. Number two with Fetty, so he did do this last season. Uh, Fetty in the 2021 season got off to a nice start and then fell apart. Uh, Fetty, over his first 10 starts of the 2021 season, had an ERA of 333, but Fetty finished the 2021 season with an ERA of 547. So we need to see more from Fetty this season before crowning him, uh, but so far, so good, and a really nice job by Fetty on Wednesday. Uh, the Nats bullpen on Wednesday was good. Three Nats relievers combined for three scoreless innings. Coral Edwards Jr. tossed the scoreless top of the seventh. Kyle Finnegan, tossed a scoreless top of the eighth, and Tanner Rainey tossed a scoreless top of the ninth to get his first save since, yes, April 19th. Uh, Rainey did put two guys on base. He issued a win-out five-pitch walk of Max Muncy, followed by giving up a win-out single to Gavin Lux. But Davey Martinez in this game, for one of the few times this season, was able to go to a seventh-inning guy, then the eighth-inning guy and Kyle Finnegan, and then the ninth-inning guy in Tanner Rainey. Like, this is how the Nats drew it up going into this season. So few times has that script been allowed to play out, but the script did play out on Wednesday and against the Dodgers of all teams. Uh, now to the negatives for the Nats in their one nothing win over the Dodgers at Nationals Park on Wednesday. So yeah, the Nats offense, again, 
did do very little. Uh, just one run, just six hits, which were two doubles and four singles. Uh, the Nats worked three walks, but went two for ten with runners in scoring position. Uh, the lone run in the game came in the bottom of the six on a Cesar Hernandez RBI single through the left side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch. Hernandez on Wednesday as an at starting second baseman and number one batter, one for four with the RBI single. But also for the Nats in that bottom of the six was more sloppiness on the base paths. Uh, so Alcides Escobar on Wednesday was an at starting shortstop and number nine batter. He went one for two with a bunt single. Now, the bunt single was impressive. Escobar in that Nats one-run six had a beautiful bunt single toward third base on an 0-2 pitch. I mean, how often do you see that? A guy going through with a bunt down 0-2 or just having two strikes on him, period. Uh, Escobar did that on Wednesday, and the result was a good-looking bunt for a single. But Escobar later in that sixth inning got caught in a rundown between third base and home plate and was tagged out. For the third out, uh, this happened on a Nelson Cruz two-out full-count single to Dodgers shortstop and, of course, ex-Nat Trey Turner deep in the hole. Now, this was a tricky play because Trey dropped the ball. Uh, Escobar, who had been on second, rounded third and then tried scoring, realized he needed to get back to third, and Escobar ended up being tagged out in sliding back to third base, where, by the way, Cesar Hernandez had landed of having been on first base. So the Nats had two guys at third base. Uh, not the first time that something like that has happened this season. Now, Davey Martinez, during his postgame press conference, defended Alcides Escobar, uh, basically said, hey, that was a play of aggression, and you like to see that. And what kind of screwed things up in a weird way was Trey Turner dropping the ball, because had he not dropped the ball, he would have thrown the ball to first, and then Escobar maybe would have scored on the play. But Trey Turner did drop the ball. And what ended up happening is the Nats, again, metaphorically dropped the ball in having a third out committed on the base paths. Uh, that was not good. And we've seen that way too often this season from the Nats. And that Escobar base running blunder wasn't the Nats' only base running blunder on Wednesday. Juan Soto had another base running screw up. You know, he has had a few of these this season. Uh, Soto on Wednesday, another underwhelming game overall. Uh, he is an Nats starting right fielder and number three batter. Went 0 for 3 with a walk. Uh, Soto in the bottom of the fourth drew a two-out five-pitch walk, but he then got picked off and caught stealing second base on a one-three-four-out for the third out. And this happened with Nelson Cruz batting. And Nelson Cruz right now actually is the Nats' hottest hitter. I mean, he's still not hitting for much power, but he's getting a lot of hits. He's getting on base a lot. And Soto ended up making the third out in an inning on the base pass. Uh, that was bad. Uh, also, Soto in the bottom of the six with runners on first and second, one out, and the Nats leading one nothing. A struck out, looking on eight pitches. Uh, the Juan Soto slump, certainly by Juan Soto standards, continues. Uh, Soto's OPS for the season through games on May 5th was 927. His OPS for the season right now is 814. His OPS for the season over a period of 20 days, May 6th, through the 25th, has fallen by 113 points. That is a big drop-off in a period of less than three weeks. A 113-point reduction in your OPS May 6th through the 25th. Uh, Josh Bell does remain without an extra base hit since May 7th. Uh, Bell on Wednesday as an at starting first baseman at number five batter went one for three with a single, and there was some luck on the single. The single came in the bottom of the seventh. It was a leadoff single to shallow left center field on a fly ball on which the Dodgers left fielder Gavin Lux 
failed to make a sliding catch, and Bell, by the way, wasn't exactly hustling uh, out of the box on that play. Uh, I mentioned Nelson Cruz, though. He does continue to hit here. Uh, Cruz on Wednesday as an at starting DH and number four batter, two for three with a double and a single. He in the bottom of the fifth had a leadoff opposite field double to deep right field, and he in the bottom of the sixth had that two-out full count single to Trey Turner deep in the hole with Trey dropping the baseball. It's interesting with Nelson Cruz's slash line in this month of May. So his batting average for the month of May, 314, that's good. His on-base percentage for the month of May, 355, that's good. Slugging percentage for the month of May, 443, that's not terrible. That's also not what we're used to seeing from Nelson Cruz. So again, you want to see more power, but he's getting hits and he's getting on base. So that's a lot better than what Nelson Cruz had been doing so far this season. Also, we on Wednesday had a Victor Robles sighting. Uh, Robles was an at starting center fielder and number eight batter. This was Robles's first start in five games uh, due to his struggles and also due to a recent calf cramp. Uh, Robles went 0 for 1 with two walks. Uh, he in the bottom of the third drew a one out seven pitch walk despite having been down to the count at 1.02 and Robles in the Nats one run six had a leadoff six pitch walk. Uh, all right, we on Wednesday got updates on starting pitchers Steven Strasburg and Joe Ross. And like those guys' minor league rehab assignment starts on Tuesday night, uh, the updates were mixed in terms of good news, bad news. So Strasburg, it turns out, has come out of his outing feeling fine. That's good news, really good news. But Ross, it turns out, has not come out of his outing feeling fine. In fact, he wasn't feeling well during the outing. And there's irony with this because Ross on Tuesday night pitched much better than Strasburg did and against a higher level of competition. So Strasburg is coming back from surgery to address neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome. He underwent the surgery last July 28th. Strasburg on Tuesday night in a 6-1 home loss for the low A Fredericksburg Nationals to the Salem Red Sox allowed three runs in two and two-thirds innings. Uh, He gave up three hits, a double and two singles. He struggled with his control. He issued four walks through two wild pitches, through just 31 strikes versus 30 balls over 61 pitches, did have three strikeouts. But Strasburg, it turns out, is feeling fine. Ross on Tuesday night was good. He in a 6-4 home loss for the AA Harrisburg Senators to the Altoona Curve tossed three scoreless innings with four strikeouts. He only gave up two hits, both of which were singles. He issued no walks, did issue a hit by pitch, but he threw strikes, 23 strikes, versus eight balls over 31 pitches. So he did well. The problem was that his right elbow tightened up. Uh, He was supposed to throw four innings or 60 pitches. He instead only threw three innings and 31 pitches. And so it now turns out that Joe Ross was to undergo an MRI exam on that right elbow. And that is like the last thing that you wanted to hear regarding Joe Ross coming out of this minor league rehab assignment start. Uh, That's troubling, very troubling. One start into his minor league rehab assignment, and the guy needs an MRI exam on his right elbow. Uh, Ross, this past March 7th, underwent arthroscopic surgery to remove a bone spur in his right elbow. Uh, Also, there is looming over Ross the prospect of him needing a second Tommy John surgery. The Nats last August 15th placed Ross on the 10-day injured list with a partial tear of his right UCL. He didn't pitch for the rest of the season, but it remains possible that he may need another Tommy John surgery. He underwent his first Tommy John surgery in July 2017. So the Joe Ross right elbow has had all kinds of problems. And Joe Ross overall has had a number of health problems. You know, Joe Ross was quite good for the Nats in 2015 
in 2016, but he really has struggled with inconsistency and injury ever since then. Uh, Ross in 2016 missed more than two months due to right shoulder inflammation. Ross in July 2017 underwent the Tommy John surgery. Ross in September 2019 missed about three weeks due to forearm soreness. Ross spent a good chunk of July 2021 on the 10-day injured list due to right elbow inflammation. Ross's 2021 season ended last August due to that partial tear of his right UCL. And Ross this past March underwent arthroscopic surgery to remove a bone spur in his right elbow. He's still not 30. It feels like he's been around for a long time, and in a lot of ways, he has been around for a long time, but this season is Ross's age 29 season, but this also is his final season of team control. This is a big season for Joe Ross in a lot of ways, and uh, his comeback here with the right elbow problems is not off to a good start. One start into his minor league rehab assignment and he needs an MRI exam. But it was good to hear on Wednesday that Steven Strasburg was feeling well after his initial start of his minor league rehab assignment. Next up for the Nats, a four-game series against the Colorado Rockies at Nationals Park Thursday through Sunday. Game one Thursday night at 7.05. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Well, the Orioles now are done with the New York Yankees for about two months. And if you're an O's fan, you're probably not sad about the O's being done with the Yankees for about two months. Uh, the O's on Wednesday night lost at the Yankees 2 nothing to lose two or three games in the series. Uh, the O's this season now are 18-27, and 27, so they have played 45 games. 13 of the 45 games have been against the Yankees. Enough of the Yankees, okay? <laughs> uh, the O's this season are just 4-9 and nine against the Yankees, who have the best record in the majors, 31-13. and 13. Uh, The O's will next play the Yankees July 22nd through the 24th at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. That'll be the Orioles' first series after the All-Star break. Uh, the O's on Wednesday night and getting shut out at the Yankees had just five hits, all of which were singles. Uh, the O's worked three walks but struck out 11 times, went 0-8 with runners in scoring position. Adley Rutschman, as the Orioles' starting catcher and number six batter, had two singles, but he also had a throwing error. Uh, Tyler Wells was solid. This was good to see. Wells allowed two runs in five innings. He gave up five hits, a double, and four singles, but he issued no walks. Did record just two strikeouts, but he threw strikes. 59 strikes versus just 18 balls over 77 pitches. And I tell you, with Tyler Wells, he's a guy making the transition from relief pitcher to starter. He's doing a pretty good job. Uh, This outing on Wednesday night marked a fourth time in six starts that Wells lasted for at least five innings and allowed two runs or less. That's pretty good. Uh, Wells over nine starts this season has an ERA of 430. Uh, Some bad pitching news for the O's on Wednesday. The O's on Wednesday afternoon transferred reliever Alexander Wells to the 60-day injured list with left elbow inflammation. So the O's continue to be really banged up in terms of pitching. Uh, Starters John Means and Chris Ellis and now reliever Alexander Wells all on the 60-day injured list. Starting pitcher Spencer Watkins is on the 15-day injured list. And starting pitcher Dean Kramer is on the 10-day injured list. Uh, No game for the O's on Thursday. They will be at the Boston Red Sox for a five-game series This weekend, Memorial Day weekend, Friday through Monday, uh, including a doubleheader on Saturday.
And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 324, will feature much more on the Commanders. I tell you, there's a lot going on right now. Uh, I will have a special guest for you talking Commanders on Friday's show. Also, I'll talk Nationals as they on Thursday night at 7.05. We'll get a four-game series against the Colorado Rockies at Nationals Park. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Some of the things that we did in Carolina trying to emulate.